Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Brian Schmidt, and I'm joined by We Win, the Alabama Woodworker. Hey, Brian. And Guy Dunlap of Guy's Woodshop. Hello. <laughs> this podcast is intended to answer questions from you, the woodworking community, and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. We do have a Patreon account, and right now we have one level, and we're simply asking for a small donation just to help cover the costs of bringing you this podcast. You can find our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash woodshoplife. And you can also stay tuned to the end of the show to hear about what we've got going on in our own shops. And one thing that we want to emphasize this show in particular is in answering questions from the woodworking community, we need questions from you, the woodworking community. So if you have questions that you would like answered, go ahead and send them to us through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com. It's a contact page there. Or you can DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. We are fairly low on questions right now, so definitely appreciate uh, any questions you can send in. Yeah, we're, we're very, very low on questions, guys. Please send them in. We, we live for your questions. And Brian has also offered to start taking phone calls from people. And at the end of the show, I will be releasing his phone number. If not, I'll put it on Instagram and you can text him directly or call him at three o'clock in the morning. Keep it on ring nine o'clock. Nine o'clock is great because you're trying to put the kids to bed. Exactly. I keep it on ring all the time. So you can give me 24 hours a day. <laughs> so guy, why don't we go ahead and get started with you? What's your first question? <clears throat> okay. I've got a question from our friend, Scott Phillips, who, thank you, Scott. He writes, writes in quite often. It's awesome. I think so. Anyways. Yeah. The name's mm -hmm. familiar. Anyways. <laughs> Hi guys. I enjoy the podcast. I recently got a Festool Domino. I wanted to see if you guys had any tips that would help a new user. Also, if you have bought or made some jigs that you would recommend. Thanks, Scott from Birmingham, Alabama. Yep. Um, do you know Scott Hui? I don't. I no? Maybe I do. I don't know. Birmingham I don't know. It's a small town, isn't it? Uh, Birmingham is uh, It's bigger than Huntsville. Huntsville? Yeah. Okay. So. so they have three stoplights. Yeah, something like that. No, Birmingham's a major city. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was that was insulting. I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm just uh, kidding. Just our Alabama, Alabama audience. I yeah, love yeah. I love Alabama. I've been there a couple times. It's wonderful. People are great. Um, yeah, there are a couple things on the 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 domino as far as tips go and any jigs. The biggest tip that I can give, and I actually did some training in our shop with a couple guys today, and we were building a mid-century modern base for a coffee table, mm. and we're joining it together with dominoes. Yeah. And I had, you know, this is training. I, I don't do all that often, but I do it every now and then. Uh, again, I was doing training on the domino, so this is fresh in my mind. The one thing that I always see is, especially in our shop, is that the guys use the biscuit joiner quite a bit, especially for the tabletops. Mm -hmm. And they put that, that that biscuit joiner on top of the board, man, they just slam it in. They go yeah. boom, 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 because they're in a hurry. The thing with the domino is, mm -hmm. it's not simply point and shoot. You have to address the wood properly with the machine. Mm -hmm. You have to register it both on the edge and on top properly and hold it there 
because that thing does buck a little bit, especially the small domino, the DF500. Yeah. So I would recommend practicing on a board, you know, some scrap wood and just getting used to the way it feels when you're plunging it in. I would definitely hold it from the knob that's on the front. And then when you push it in, hold the back by the wire. Yeah. And push it in that way. Don't grab the body of it. Like cup the back of it and push it in. Um, There's some other things, but I'll let... uh, we go next to see what what he can come up with yeah so there's this guy i, I think his paul marcel i believe his name yeah. is check yep. out his videos he's got a whole bunch of videos on like little like tips and tricks and calibration they're, things they're great videos he hasn't published anything in a long time yeah and i think it's called half inch shy is the name of his youtube yep. channel yep. but he's got a catalog of old like festool domino type videos and whatnot and there there are a bunch of them that we might not mention but definitely check him out so that's one tip but i'll, I'll add a second tip which is when you first get the domino make sure that that uh, scribe that center scribe on the top of your domino fence is properly calibrated and the way you do that is you mark a line on two boards and you plunge uh, going in from one direction and then the other direction for the other one and when they come together if that if that center stylus on the fence is actually centered to the bit then when you come together with those two parts the, the line should meet perfectly um, if they're if they're off any if there's a shift, then you'll have to adjust the uh, center line of the the stylus on the fence uh, in order to make sure that uh, you know you're plunging exactly center and it's not offset a little bit. Yeah, um, that's a really good tip. I had to do that uh, with mine because I had bought mine used, and you know when you buy a used tool. You know, things shift over time, but I, I believe that they probably properly calibrate them from the factory, but I would I would check that anyway. Yeah. Uh, Brian, I, you know, I don't even know if you have a domino. Do you have a domino and do you use one or are you mainly like a biscuit joiner type guy or what? No, I, I have a I have a DF 500. Hold on. I got to finish writing that tip down because I don't know that I ever calibrated mine. <laughs> <laughs> Half of the Palmer cell from Half Inch Shy does a whole video on it. Yeah. Okay. Who is that guy? Half inch shy. That's who um, okay. we was yeah. talking about a moment okay. ago. Okay. Yeah, his YouTube yeah. channel. He's got a like a like a very long video on how to do that. Okay. How to calibrate your DF five hundred. It's really good. Yeah. Helps a lot. So so as far as like useful tools or accessories, jigs that that can accompany it, mm-hmm. I recommend the Dama plate from Seneca Woodworking. Yeah. And. The way that I, so what the Dama plate is, is it is a fixed fence solution that actually mounts onto um, the bottom of the domino, I guess. And then you end up holding the domino upside down from its its normal orientation. Yeah. And it allows you to perfectly center dominoes in half inch stock or three quarter inch stock mm-hmm. um, based on which way you apply uh, this fixed fence. It's really just a flat piece of uh, milled aluminum, I think, with a, with a knob that is reversible mm-hmm. to either side. Um, yep. That's at Seneca Woodworking because I yep. do a lot of face frames and work with three-quarter inch lumber quite a bit. Having that to, to pop on there and just easily get the right depth um, 
is really convenient and something I enjoy. And I think that the fence is the, the regular fence on the domino I've heard is prone to, to deflection. And I find this to be a more stable, um, solution for, for referencing off the top of the board. I've never had a problem with deflection. I've had a problem with drift mm-hmm. yeah. where it can go out of okay. calibration as far as the height goes. Okay. I um, think, and that's actually, that's actually what I meant. Yeah. So, okay. so, yeah. so drift, not deflection. Okay. Um, uh, another really, that is, that is a good tool. I have one of those. Another really good jig that just came out a while ago. There's one more I want to talk about, and hopefully Hui picks it up because um, I know he's got one. But TSO Products just came out with a thing that they other people have come out with too, but theirs is probably the best I've seen, the best uh, uh, adaption, adoption of it. They call it the Bigfoot. And it's oh, a yeah. it's a ninety degree fence that bolts on the bottom just like the Dama plate does. Yeah. But it gives you extra platform. An extra platform underneath. It it really helps, especially when you're doing a lot of uh uh, uh vertical plunging. Vertical plunging, yeah. So okay. if you're if you're if you're using a domino for cabinets, it's easy to plunge the end end grain. Yeah. But when you have to plunge in vertically the domino doesn't have it has good purchase or registration on the, the the one edge but on the flat edge it's only got you know like maybe 15 to 20 millimeters yeah. that you can balance it on this gives you you know probably about four or five inches it's a big ass piece of aluminum yeah um and it works with both the df 500 and the 700 okay so you don't need two of them just one will cover both Mm, mm. Now, go ahead i'm sorry i was just gonna say that's a really really good jig yeah to have yeah i i, I have one i haven't used it yet um yeah to use good. it for vertical plunge stuff yeah um but i haven't done a lot of cabinet works uh, cabinet work in a, in a little while now i'm trying to think what other one other accessory you're thinking of that you're hoping that i would pick up on Hmm. Um, for the domino, it's made, it's made by another woodworker. You say, is it the domino dock? The domino oh, dock. There we by go. Ramon Valdez. Um, Ramon Valdez. It's awesome. Yep. It's just awesome. I've used it, and uh, it, it it clamps on. Well, it doesn't clamp, but the, your your DF five hundred, and he makes one for the DF seven hundred as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, mounts vertically into this dock. And you can then attach it to a vise uh, of, of whatever type. And uh, it allows you to use your domino in a stationary position. You'll bring your workpiece, particularly thinner stock, smaller stock, clamp it to the fence and plunge it down uh, using your hands. Uh, so you're not pressing into the domino, but you're pushing the domino down from the fence. Um, it's great for, especially if you got to batch out a whole bunch of like small parts. Yep. 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 It's yep. a really handy tool. I was doing a bunch of face frames with the domino and I was using the, I don't know what the call, the, the stops are called, but it's a, it's a jig that goes on the front of it and it's got two little wheels and a thing goes in and out. So you can center a, a pin. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? 
Yeah, I don't. I can't remember I what, what it's called. Comes with, comes with it, right? Yeah. Oh, it comes yeah. with the the better kit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had a bunch to do on it, and that was a really that thing was awesome for that. I, mean, I just slap it in there, boom, done. Yeah. There's no clamping. There's no there. There wasn't any drama. It just went very very quickly. So yeah, I've I've noticed for the smaller parts. You know, you talk about the drift guy that you get with the domino every now and then the fence. But then you, mm-hmm. before that, you also talked about plunging in and making sure that you're going straight in as opposed to going at an angle or, yep. um, you know, with the bit reading the grain and understanding the grain and also the fact that the, the browder bit is going in a specific direction. So it can kind of kick or shift. I've noticed using particularly with the smaller pieces, I get a lot of that issue with drift and some of the other issues with the uh, bit wanting to wander in the grain is a lot easier when you're using the domino dock for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. You got anything else, Brian? I think that's it on the domino. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, I think I've got the next question and surprisingly enough, it's not a domino question, but more maybe a joinery system question. This question comes from Jesse at Beachland furniture. He is a, uh, submitter of uh, multiple questions. So thank you, Jesse. Uh, He has two questions. I'm just going to address the first one for this round. If you were to build a set of dining chairs, what is your absolute tool you couldn't do without? Would it be a domino or would you spring for a panel router? Maybe a shaper origin? This is a great question. And I think ultimately it comes down to what you see yourself doing for the future. So for instance, if Let's say you were to make a design, a dining chair design, and you ultimately want to do small batch production and batch out a lot of parts, and you want to do this every year, and you see yourself just making dining chairs and um, stools and a bunch of things that are going to really require a good set of jigs and production, I would go to the panel router route. Um, it, it To me... It makes sense because I've used, by the way, I've used the panel router. I have one. I own one. And I used it to produce a set of dining chairs. Now, that being said, that's a huge investment for, say, something that you might plan on just doing a production run one time ever. Uh, I think in that case, the Domino is a perfectly good tool to make floating tenons on chairs. And uh, there's no, to me, I've not seen a difference in the strength between an integral tenon and a loose tenon. I just haven't seen it. Maybe there is, but I think that difference is going to be minuscule when it comes to the grand scheme of what you're using that furniture for, right? Um, The panel router also has some other benefits of, uh, again, like like I said earlier, the integral tenon. So you can play around with a little bit more of exposed joinery and uh, the other great thing and the major difference is bring the uh, the workpiece to the tool versus bring the tool to the workpiece. The domino is going to be a bring the tool to the workpiece. Now, we just talked about a caveat of that, right? When we use something like a domino dock, which I would highly recommend if you do go the route of getting a domino, get a domino dock because it's going to be great for doing those smaller pieces, rails and whatnot. So it, it really comes down to what do you plan on doing in the future? Do you want to, you know, uh, here, here's another example. Panel router can do more than just, just mortise and tenon does dovetails and a whole bunch of other, other different shapes of pant, uh, of, uh, 
of joinery. Now, one thing I love, I've used the Shaper Origin at IWF. Was that, that the last one? I think it was, right? Um, in, uh, in Atlanta. I use I, I use the Shaper Origin and I test that is a really cool tool, but I don't know necessarily if it would be good for chairs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, th I think there'd be just a lot of setup involved in it and it can do a lot, by the way. It's a very capable tool, but I, I just don't think it would be to me. It just doesn't seem like the right tool for that. Now. I am gonna I'm gonna kick it to Brian because I, I I'm what I, I want to know what Brian's thoughts on this. Uh, Brian, have you made chairs? If you did, would you just try it first with your domino and see how it goes? I mean, you, you see, it sounds like you already have a domino. My guess is that you don't have a panel router or shaper origin. Correct. Yeah, I do have a domino. I I do not have either of the other tools. Mm -hmm. um, so we are at well. We being my, my son Bryson and I, we are actually building a chair right now. Um, mm -hmm. It's his design. He's 11 and a half. So we are, oh, using, so cool. we are using screws because uh -huh. it only needs to hold his 75 pound frame. And um, <laughs> we, are, we are gluing and screwing this thing together piece by piece. So mm -hmm. that is the extent of my chair making. If I was going to make a set of dining chairs like Jesse is describing, um, mm -hmm. and I already had a domino, I would, I would roll with that just because... It's it's the type of tool that I can then use in other aspects of uh, furniture making and woodworking that I enjoy. Um, the Panner Router um, looks really really cool, but um, I've got a small shop and I I like the small footprint of the Domino and, yeah. and sort of the portability or mobility of that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I would I would stick with the Domino. Uh, the only case for the Shaper might be. I mean, it. I wouldn't call it the absolute tool you couldn't do without, but a potential practical use if you do have a shaper and are thinking of building those dining chairs could be um, cutting, creating those templates um, that you can then use when flush trimming parts uh, after roughing them out on the bandsaw. Right, uh, right. Might be a way that that would be applicable, but but not as an absolute tool. Right, right, yeah. right. I agree. I agree. Guy, what's your thoughts? I know you've built a few chairs. Um, a couple, but I've never really built dining chairs. I think like he's Jesse's referring to mm -hmm. most of the chairs I've built are shakers style chairs. Sure. If you're familiar with those, it's a very, it, every part is turned on it. Mm -hmm. Yep. So the trick there is to get your holes straight into a round piece. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's, <laughs> that's a different animal than what we built when he built his chairs. Um, so, you know, this, this is a tough question. I don't think the shaper origin is the right tool for this particular no. task. I agree. I agree. If it, if it were me and I was just going to build a set of dining room chairs for moi, mm -hmm. domino hands down. Yeah. Yep, because it, it it's going to do just about everything that the panel router can do, almost, mm -hmm. not quite, yeah, yep, but almost, mm -hmm. and it's going to do it just as well, and I think actually a little bit easier, and I think the benefits long term of having the domino far mm -hmm. outweigh 
the specialty purpose of the pano router. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 So that's my Good. two cents. Yeah. If I was going to build chairs that had, like now, I built every all my chairs. I built a lot of them, man. But I I built I had to build a bunch of jigs to go on my drill press. Yeah. To hold all this stuff, and it was a pain in the butt lining up everything else. Uh, this may sound like a shameless plug, but we're we're not sponsored by them, nor are they paying for me to uh, paying this, paying for this for me to say this. But Rockler makes this portable drill guide now. Oh yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. It'll center round pieces. It'll drill at angles. If you're a, a chair maker, one of the things that you know, you, there's all kinds of different tricks and things you have to do to get those. Spindles, uh, yeah. Spindles in at certain angles and this, that, and the other. This just would make it so easy. Yeah. Um, and it's a really high quality piece of equipment. So yeah. It's not cheap. Yeah. It's it's a good piece yeah. of heavy duty equipment. It's like a portable drill press. Two two hundred two hundred or two hundred and fifty dollars, maybe? I have no idea. Yeah, I think you're about right. But it, it's it's a honking piece of aluminum. That thing yeah. is heavy. You know, it's, it's much different from like, you know, the Miles Craft or the Makita oh, yeah. small, you, you know, what I'm talking about the, it's, yeah, it's, it's a real, it's a real piece of equipment. Yeah. And that's, that's a good tool too. If you're going to be doing, you know, uh, chairs that have round parts. So yeah, like that's what's nine, 9.8 pounds. And yeah. That's a beast. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a beast. I have a little thing. So anything else on, anything else on the chairs or on that, that aspect of the chair question we no, I think that's it. Um, I think it goes to you with your first question. My question is from Justin Bohannon. And Justin says, hello, I hope you all are doing well. I live in the great state of Alabama, just up a the road a short bit from we in Tony. I greatly enjoy your I know. Goodness. These will be the last two questions we ever get from Alabama after Guy insulted them earlier. I didn't <laughs> insult them. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. So Justin says, I greatly enjoy your podcast as it is definitely the best one on the subject of woodworking. I would consider myself the hobbyist woodworker, although I have built some commission pieces. I have a rigid contractor saw mounted to the mobile stand that it came with. I use this saw for all sorts of projects, including ripping full sheets of plywood. My question is concerning the riving knife. Are there any benefits to the dang thing? I may have bent mine during a previous operation, but it <laughs> seems to me that it just gets in the way and prevents me from being able to move material smoothly through the blade and is causing burning in some or most of my cuts. Also, I am using the blade that came with the saw. Should I swap to a different blade? Is the brand of blade as important as the type of blade? Thank you for answering my questions, and I look forward to listening to many more episodes of the podcast. Justin Bohannon. So, a couple different questions to unpack in there, and Ooh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm going to just tackle the riving knife component of this right now, and we'll get to the other one later. Yeah. Um, he says, "Is there any benefit to the riving knife?" And the answer is yes. The yeah. riving knife. I couldn't imagine using a saw without a riving knife, and what the riving knife does is it when you push your workpiece through the saw blade the riving knife keeps the the sections of the board once it's past the blade from closing up and if it were it so it it basically acts as a splitter on the back side of the blade 
And if you didn't have that, as you run your board through and that that kerf could close up um, as tension is released in your board. And if that kerf did close and pinch on the saw blade, um, it can create kickback, which is really, really dangerous. Um, my dad, for, for his entire woodworking life until about uh, four months ago, has been using an old craftsman um, contractor saw and it and it doesn't have a riving knife at all. It doesn't have any sort of splitter or anything like that, unless you have the over overhead guard on it, um, mm-hmm. which, um, will, yeah, doesn't always get used. But hmm. I, whenever I use his saw, I am terrified because <laughs> the I don't know the safety that the riving knife provides. I mean, it doesn't eliminate the risk of kickback, not at all, but it greatly reduces it. And to me, is a is a really significant component. Um, of, of the safety of the table saw. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a saw stop now, so we don't, we don't have to worry about him dying. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. What do, um, Guy, what do you think about the riving knife and the benefits as well as Justin's comment that he may have bent his during a previous operation and, and now oh. he's getting some, some burning or resistance and pushing his workpiece through. Well, a couple things. Uh, up until I got my Powermatic saw, which was maybe 2014, maybe mm-hmm. 2015, I had never used a saw with a riving knife. And when I had that first got that Powermatic, the first thing I did was remove the riving knife. To this day, I use it about half the time. Really? Oh, okay. Really? Yeah. I think myself, it kind of gets in the way sometimes. Okay. Okay. Um, Not all the time, but sometimes. Yeah. How so? Because to use the riving knife properly, it has to be adjusted to your saw blade. True. And sometimes I use different saw blades than the one Uh, it was adjusted for. Right, right, right. Sometimes I use a thin kerf blade. You got to take the damn thing off. Yep. That's right. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I use a ripping blade. I got to take it off. Oh, the ripping blade is a different uh, curve? It's it's different than my um, Forest oh. Woodworker 2, which has been sharpened, you know, 40 times. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it just gets in the way. What I think um, Justin's problem is, is that his, his is bent. It just needs yeah. to be adjusted. Yeah, is what yep. it really what really needs to happen with it. It just needs to be fixed and properly installed, and it takes a little bit of doing to get those things dialed in properly. Yeah, but depending on what type of blade you're using, you're you're gonna you have to kind of get it tuned in for the blade. Yeah, good point about the thin curve blade. Yeah, if you've got a thin curve blade and a riving knife that is calibrated for a full curve blade. Um, you might have some problems yeah. there. And saw stops stop making the thin kerf riving knives. Is that true? Yep. Did not know that. Yeah. Yep. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I remember now that uh, I did have to take out my riving knife for um, when I was using a ripping blade because my, my blade also has been sharpened, not as, not 40 times, but probably like, I don't know, a dozen times. Um, hmm. What else is there about, I think, 
Yeah, you guys talked about the riving knife and not having one and why you have one. The only thing that I can mention is that I had a Delta contractor saw. That was my first saw. And when I got one, I got that uh, MJ wood splitter by Microjig. Yeah. And uh, I like that because you calibrated it. Now, here's the here, here's the bad part is that you, you had to calibrate the, the wood splitter to you could only use for one blade. It's just one blade. But if you didn't need the splitter, so if you used a thin curve blade, you could just pop those things out and 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 um, rip rip your material or whatnot. So that was that's an option if you don't want to go the route of getting a new riving knife or if you don't want to go the route of even fixing yours. Uh, what are your thoughts on him not using it? Because it sounds like he kind of wants to not use it. I don't know. I like using them. <laughs> I like the comforts of having a riving knife. But I I sort of feel like if he's got it, he should probably fix it so that it can work properly. Yeah, if, I, I, I agree. I agree you know. that it, it, in today's day and age, um, I probably would. I still use mine. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't, it's not, it's on more than it's off. Yeah. Sure. Let I'm, me put it to you that way. Yeah. I'm, I'm a so, little less, I'm a little less concerned about using it, about him using it. If, if he's just ripping plywood or working with plywood. Yeah. Um, just because the, I think the likelihood of that, that wood moving or any sort of tension coming out of plywood in the, the structure changing to where it's pinching on the back side of the blade. I think, I think the risk of that is, is maybe less than if you've got solid, solid hardwood. Um, yeah, I agree. That can, that can, um, I got a batch of poplar one time and it was just every cut. I mean, the thing just turned into a rotini noodle. It seemed like <laughs> it was so frustrating. <laughs> oh, I've been there. I've yeah. Been there. Maple well, without a well, without a riving knife, I mean, it would have been. I feel like it would have been the potential hairy. Beck City, yeah, 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 yeah. What okay. about what about his other question here? He's he's saying, uh, I, I am using the blade that came with the saw. Should I swap to a different blade? So I'm actually going to tackle that in question or in my second round of question because I think there's I think there's a whole blade discussion we can we can have there. Oh, perfect. So it'll, it'll, it'll pair up with another person's question. Yep. Awesome. So, um, guy, it is back to you. All right. So this question comes from Zach and I love these questions. I love this question. I've answered it probably a hundred times, but that's okay. I think it's important because not everybody listening to this podcast has listened to our previous episodes. So anyways, Zach says, hey, guys, I have a favorite. What is your favorite finish question? While this has been asked and answered a thousand times, I'm struggling to find a good answer for my particular scenario. I'm putting up a pine tongue and groove wall in a small bathroom. What would you suggest for the best and easiest application for finishing a wood bathroom wall with irregular surfaces? So it sounds like this is like a... Uh, rough cut type of thing. I want a slightly amber but not darkening matte to approaching matte 
to approaching semi-gloss, semi-gloss, I can't talk, matte to approach, approaching a semi-gloss finish. <laughs> I, prefer to, I prefer to pre-finish the uncut boards and cut to fit. That's a, that's a good plan. Mm-hmm. Preferred options for finish application are either my electric spray gun or wipe on finish. Mm-hmm. Although with the irregular surface, I don't want a difficult wipe on finish option. So mm-hmm. it really is going to, for me, it's going to come down to a couple things. First of all, is how much of it there is. Is this a like a, uh, a half bath where you just, you know, like I've got downstairs here where there's just a, a, a toilet and a sink in it and it's not real big? Or is this a full master bath um, that, you know, it's got a bunch of very long walls and there's steam and all kinds of things. Let's just assume it's the 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 big bathroom thing, and you've got bathroom type problems in there. I've built a lot of furniture, like wall cabinets and things like that, medicine cabinets for bathrooms like that in the past, and I have always just used an oil based varnish. Some sometimes I've sprayed it, sometimes I've brushed it, sometimes I've just put it on by by hand. That's that's what I'd recommend. <clears throat> and it's going to be pretty easy. It's going to be easy to do. You can take regular polyurethane, not the 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 wipe on type of polyurethane, and mm-hmm. thin it. And you can brush it on. Yeah, especially yeah. on a rough finish. That's what I would try first. I'd get a sample board. And I try a couple different things. I try wiping on a, a, a thin, a thin oil-based polyurethane mm-hmm. on it. Um, I wouldn't use a water-based because it'll, it could actually cloud over mm, from yeah. steam. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to cut down on that. It's going to be really easy to apply. It's just a drying time thing, and the stink is the other. Yeah. So those are two other things to consider. But if not that, I'm always going to go back to my my new favorite finish that's not shellac, water-based conversion varnish. Yeah. With the spray gun. So Yeah. Hui? Yeah, I really like what you mentioned about an oil-based finish whether it be the regular polyurethane, whether it's a, a helmsman or some type of spar urethane, but with the irregular surface, I think you're going to be better off with that type of a finish versus a wipe on finish. And the application, I think again, to reiterate what guy said, I think you're going to get better results with a brush over a foam yeah, uh, I, application. Yeah. I, I hate to interrupt, but the, the spar urethane is not necessary because it's not going to be that subject to that much UV light. That's okay. where spar urethane really comes in. So in it's terms of just, UV resistance. So in terms of just uh, moisture resistance, just a regular. Yeah, the spar urethane, urethane will add something to it, but in, in a bathroom, it's not like water's hitting it. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, it'd be steam, and yeah. hopefully he's got a fan in there. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but I, I would still probably brush it on over using a wipe on varnish. Uh, what I've noticed with uh, more rustic or roughened or irregular surfaces is that when you try to wipe on the finish there, it just, I, I, I can't seem to get it to go on very well because it's almost like, too, it's almost like it's too thin, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I would, I would, I would probably brush it on if not spray it. And if I were to go to the spray route, I would go some type of water-based conversion varnish, water-based, uh, poly, well, not polyurethane, no water-based conversion varnish or, yeah. um, well, that's about it. Or some type of pre-cat lacquer or something, water-based pre-cat lacquer. Um, Brian, have you done any sort of, uh, I guess, would you call this ship lapping? No. Yeah, I think it, I think it falls falls in that category. Um, so uh, Zach Zach had said he wants a slightly amber color, but not yeah. not overly darkening. Um, mm-hmm. With is that something where where he can he can get the color he's looking for with a shellac to start and then finish with that water base conversion varnish? Would would that yeah. work in yeah. terms of? getting to getting to the color with the with the shellac and then and then you know putting putting a clear over that yep yeah he could definitely do that i think i think i you know what i was thinking in terms of just maybe saving one step where you would get a little bit of that ambering and oil tone um effect with say an oil-based polyurethane that's that's sort of what i was thinking but but yeah he could totally do that too but I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't have a whole lot to add beyond beyond what you guys said on that one. We next question is is yours. All right, so this is back to Jesse. So this is the que- second question from Beachland Furniture. Besides a captured veneered panel, could you guys get away with one sixteenth inch veneer on one side and three thirty seconds backing veneer on the other side of a panel? Essentially, would you veneer? a panel with different thickness of veneers on either side. Reason I ask, I might make a bullet uh, built-in shelving unit with 1 16th inch veneer on the front and some 3 32nd inch veneer backing veneer on the backside that faces the wall. It would be captured with the cabinet carcass dado, so I would assume it wouldn't potato chip, but who knows? Jesse. That's an interesting question. Um... I actually don't know the answer to this, but I would assume that you're balancing the veneer. And the reason why you're balancing the veneer is because you're trying to uh, battle the uh, expansion contraction that is going to be subjected to just one side of that veneer. So by putting another veneer on the other side, you're counteracting that. Um, and as the wood dries and whatnot, you're, you know, you're going to get that, uh, creep along with the movement due to the glue drying from the one side. And so my guess is that I don't think the difference, that small difference, right? We're talking a, what, a 32nd of an inch. I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference. I might be wrong, but I think the best thing to do is actually just maybe just test out a small panel just a very small panel with, with each and just see what happens, you know, like a eight inch by eight inch panel. And, 
But my guess is that it's not going to potato chip. I don't think that, that this is going to be a problem because you are balancing the veneer. Just mind you, one is thicker than the other, but I don't think it's significant enough to really make that big of a difference. Guy, you've done a lot more veneering than I have. I mean, what are your thoughts? Do you think he's going to be in trouble by doing this? Absolutely not. It's not a problem. Go ahead and put one eighth on one side and one thirty second on the other side. You're really looking to balance the the, the stress on the the panel for the the glue. Okay. So you're fine. Plus, it's going to be captured mm-hmm, mm-hmm. inside some door uh, framing pieces. Yeah, rails. It's not, and it's not a problem. It's okay. not a problem. All right. All right. Uh, Brian. Anything to add? <laughs> sorry if this was kind of a short I mean, I'm question. I'm sorry I just shut the door on that one. <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't talked to my friend Kyle. He had a cabinet explode when he did that one time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it is. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And it sounds like the panel that he's going to do this for, one side of it is going to face the wall. Uh-huh. So it's going to be the back panel there. Yeah. So given given that, even though it's you know fifty per, or I guess fifty percent or thirty three percent different in thickness, it is it is balanced um, on on each side of the panel, um, and it's going to be captured in the in the dado groove. So, uh, um, yeah, I I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't be concerned. The, the, the big the big thing is just <laughs> if there's if there's if there's glued a glued piece of veneer on both sides, the moisture is going to wick about the same on both sides. Yeah. So it's not, it's not going to, the, the panel isn't going to work. Yeah. I've done it. I don't, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've put, you know, eighth inch, 16th to an eighth inch veneer on one side and put really cheap 42nd of an inch back of veneer. Okay. And haven't had issues. Yeah. I've done, I have done an eighth inch on one side and a 16th on another side. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Um, but Somebody out there is right. probably going to going, oh, what an idiot. He's so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no callbacks yet. Listen, we're, we're, we're hobbyist woodworkers answering questions from the woodworking community. You're, you're, you're getting, you're getting, you're getting honest <laughs> answers here. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh, I think it goes back to you, Brian. You got the last one, right? Yep. Last question. So this is going to be part two from Justin. We answered part one with his riving knife. So he's asking with his rigid contractor saw, said he's using the blade that came with the saw. Should he swap to a different blade? And is the brand of blade as important as the type of blade? Um, so he also said that he has built many a project on this saw. Um, and if that's the case and you're still using the original blade, I, I recommend, I recommend getting a new blade. It could be nearly the same type of blade, but having a new blade and a sharp blade make, I've noticed to make a huge difference. I Mm -hmm. I have a saw stop and I used it for probably the first year on, on the stock blade, which is a good blade, but yeah, that's a really good blade that comes on that saw. Yeah. But by, end of the year and some moderate use in that time. I mean, I was, I was noticing, I mean, it almost sounded different than, than when it was new. And I, I ordered a new blade online and it wasn't 
terribly fancy. I think, I think it was a $70 just general purpose blade. And I put that on and it, and it felt like I was cutting through butter um, <laughs> yeah. after that. And I, and that's when I realized just how, how dull my blade had gotten. So if you're using the original blade and you've, you've put a decent amount of work through there, um, I definitely recommend uh, either getting your blade resharpened, but if, well, it's the original, so maybe just swap to a different blade at that point. The other part of this question is, is a brand of blade as important as a type of blade? And I'll, I'll, I'll leave that one for, uh, for you, we. Yeah, I think, I think the type of blade is probably going to matter more so than the brand of blade. I don't know. That's, that's a hard question because you can get some really bad blades out there. Um, but for me, I'm either using a general purpose or a, there's another one, general purpose and a um, combination combination blade. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of <laughs> one or the other is fine, um, in my opinion. I, I I like which one has the flat the, raker. The general purpose blade is, is like what a like a forest woodworker too is. Yes, and I have one of those, and then I have a combination blade. The combination blade has a flat raker, which uh, helps with giving a little bit more of a cleaner flat bottom. Um, you still get little tiny dog ears, but not nearly as big as, say, uh, when you're doing a plunge cut or a trenching cut, as um, our, our friends across the pond like to say. Um, <laughs> when you're doing a trenching cut, uh, you'll you'll tend to get like those dog ears, I think, on a general purpose blade. Uh, but yeah, the type of blade does definitely matter. You know, if you're if you're trying to do a ripping operation and you're using a high tooth count blade, you're you're going to. Yeah, you're going to come into some trouble. Um, you're going Unless to get a you're lot using of a high high tooth comp blade for ripping plywood, because there is True. no such thing as ripping or cross cutting plywood. It's all Correct. the same, right? And in that case, that would be like a laminate blade. So, like yeah. a high tooth count laminate blade. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the the blade definitely matters. You know, if you if you're doing full sheets of plywood, I bet you you're going to love a laminate plywood blade. Um, you're going to love the clean cut that you get both on the top and the bottom. Uh, and it's, you know, it's not going to be a cheap blade. Uh, I can't, I can't imagine any high tooth plywood blade. I mean, are, are there, does like Diablo sell, you know, like a, the big box store brands, do they sell like laminate? I guess they do. Right. I don't know. I, I don't know. I have no um, idea. I would assume so. Yeah. They've got, yeah. they have, they have, um, it's, a. And, 10 inch 84 tooth laminates and non-ferrous metal saw blade for probably 50 60 dollars yeah that's pricey yeah yeah but you know what for 50 60 dollars big box store i'd give it a try I, re I really would if if you know this is this is something yeah give it a try and then if you really like that maybe try to go for a little bit more pricier blade and see if that, you know, one that's, that can be resharpened that's just going to last in your shop for a really, really long time. My experience with blades from the big box store is that they just don't have uh, a significant amount of carbide really to, to, to resharpen. You might be able to get one or two sharpenings out of them, um, and that's about it. Whereas uh, a pricier blade or a quote-unquote name brand blade is going to have high-quality carb carbide. A premium blade. A premium blade. Premium. 
premium blade is going to have a <laughs> more carbide on it and uh, is going to be able to be resharpened. I mean, Guy is talking about what, 40, 40 years? Oh, I haven't had it for 40 years. I bought it in the mid 90s. So uh, it's, you know, you are 30 old. years, maybe. 30 years. I mean, okay. So I was 10 years off. At that point, yeah. does it matter? I have no idea how I can <laughs> sharpen it. It's been sharpened a bunch. It's definitely yeah. not eighth inch curve anymore. That I know. Yeah, but it's lasted you a long time. Yep. Yeah. It, it, having spending a little bit of extra money on a good quality blade, I, you know, it's one of those things that I think is just really worth it now that I've done it. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know if that necessarily what, answered the question fully. Yeah. What, what, what blade do you use? We, I use a general purpose blade. So I have right now it's by, yeah. What brand? Oh gosh. Um, QD. Oh, I can't even remember the name. It's some family out in Ohio. Um, oh gosh, I'll get it for you. But it, it is a general purpose blade. It's very similar to the forest woodworker too. Got it. Yeah. I, I, I have two blades that I rotate between and one is a, a flat top, uh, ripping saw blade. Cause I don't have a dado stack. So I like the flat top ripping saw blade, uh, which is a 24 tooth for, um, creating just flat bottom grooves or dados in, in boards. And, um, I got all, all of my blades I've ordered from the wood tooling shop, which I think they're in North Carolina, but blades imported from Italy. I don't think that really matters for much other than that's what they say on the website. Um, but I've been for, for the price, I found it to be a good blend of quality and, and value. Uh, the other one I'll use is a, just a 40 tooth, uh, general purpose saw blade. So we'll alternate tooth bevel. So, and then usually I'll leave one in and use it for lots of things that the other one would be better at. So I'm lazy. Do you, do you plan on, uh, Go in the data. Do, do you have a saw stop by the chance? Yeah, I've got a, I've got a PCS 175. Okay. Do you plan on getting a data set at, at, you know, I just sort of wonder with, you yeah. know, the amount of cabinet work that you do. I didn't know if. Yeah. Oh no, it, you, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't assemble with dados, do you? I don't know. Okay. So, okay. Never mind. Sorry. I had, so my old, my old DeWalt saw, I had a data stack and, um, on the little job site saw mm -hmm. and, that was fine. It was easy enough to, to switch it out. It only took a couple minutes. And, but with the brake cartridge and, yeah. and all of that, I, like I said, my time in the shop ends up being, you know, so fragmented with, with three kids that uh, when I'm down here, I, I want to try to get to work as quickly as possible. And because I don't have a whole lot of need, there are times where I definitely wish I did have a dado stack, but yeah. Um, yeah. a lot so of your trenching cuts, you do a lot with like a, with a combo blade, right? Combination blade. Um, either that or the flat top ripping yeah. saw blade. Yeah. I like my flat top. I've got a Ridge carbide flat top. Love that thing. Yeah. Love yeah. It. So I, I built a, I built a, and I just only got that flat top ripping blade probably actually September 15th. I'm looking at my email right now because I wanted to make sure I called it the right thing. Um, before that, I mean, every little, you know, decorative box and we teacher gifts and family gifts and things like that. I would just use a regular general purpose blade to cut the, cut the groove, to put a little spline in there to reinforce the miter. And 
lived with the fact that the dog ear left a little gap showing. In fact, guy was so kind as to point that out for a box I made at work. So, oh, did he? <laughs> of course, he would. To be fair, I asked him. Well, to be, he I, asked, I asked him to be critical. I, I said, "Hey, say anything?" Tell me, I wasn't going to say anything. Exactly what I no, I want you to pick it apart. So I did. I did, I did say that. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Kim Tankers, fell, is he? Um, well, why don't we talk about what's going on uh, in our in our own shops right now, guy? What are you working on? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing as usual. What are you working on at work? Um. Nothing. <laughs> I'm doing a lot of CAD work lately. Everything is a, we have CAD emergencies at work. Really? Oh yeah. Gotta have it now. Gotta have it now. What? Air quotes on emergency. Yeah. So um, we've, I've been um, doing a lot of training with the guys, not only in the, the, the craftsmen that we have under our employee, but also we have a program called the advanced program. Hmm. And the advanced program is open to mostly, a lot of the guys are coming from the shelters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what we're doing is trying to prepare them for the job market. Yeah. You know, how to write a resume, how to interview. Um, and then there's more industrial arts kind of stuff, which is the stuff I'm doing. So we talk about lean manufacturing mm. and 5S and safety. Mm. Uh, those are mostly the classes that I do. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. How about you, We? Oh. Um, so remember the last episode, we talked about that round table that I was building. Mm-hmm. I finished it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I finished it. It was, a uh, yeah. Three weeks total. I couldn't believe it. That's um, fast. Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, thankfully I was able to deliver it to my mother-in-law. We also bought her a set of chairs that go really well with it. Um, I, I they're called like French countryside chairs they have like the wicker back and you know anyway yeah um and upholstered seat and it goes like beautifully well with it that that was not my planning that was not my doing but more so my wife picking out the chairs to go with the with the table on you would think that they were bought together um but uh yeah i went with a really simple design it was just sort of, i guess what you call like a sculpted modern base assembly it's just these four legs that are splayed out the cross members on top and cross members on the bottom are half lapped and intersect. And uh, the joints that meet up between the cross members and the legs are kind of swooped and sculpted. So, you know, everything gets like a very drastic three quarter inch round over. You know, I shape it up with uh, uh, a half inch uh, soft interface pad while I was sanding. And then I applied a, a stain and then this. The stuff that's called color wash. It just adds like a gray tone, gray tint over top of it. Uh, and then uh, clear coated it with uh, clear coat, uh, top coated it with uh, with some water-based poly and called it good. What about you, Brian? I, I said in our last podcast, I have aspirations to get started on a uh, real traditional woodworking bench. And yeah. I have my legs all... Um, glued up and ready to be milled and um, start cutting mortise and tenons for the assembly of those. And I've got the lumber for the top acclimating in my shop right now. 
Nice, um, nice. I think I'm going to end up, it's going to end up being, it's not a big bench. I don't need a big bench, but I need mm-hmm. one that's tall enough. So it's going to end up, I'm going to finish it out at 30, 38 or 38 and a half inches tall. Um, are, you, are you tall? How tall are you? I'm 6'4". Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, so I, I, I toyed around with the idea of just making it a regular height and I had a surface in, I mean, my table saw is about 34 inches off the ground and I thought about working at that and it was going to kill my back to, to be yeah. able to reach over and look at that. So I said, well, we'll build it tall and I've got a, a moxin vice too that I can even make a little taller if I really need to bring small parts up higher for, for detail work. So nice. um going to continue to work on that. Uh, probably that'll, what, most of that will be in January. So what's it made of? Hard maple. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> kind of nice. Kind of nice. Yeah. Not that nice. Well, I mean, it, it's, it was an it's un- hard. <laughs> it, was an un- it was an uninformed purchase for some reason. I said, hey, hard maple. That, I see workbenches that are made of that. I wish I would have I wish I would have made it out of ash. Um, Can you get ash where you guys are? Oh, yeah. 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 Not for much longer. Yeah. No, yeah. I, we, we I, can we can still we can still get it. We buy a lot of it. We do. We do. What we just got? What five thousand board feet in? Yeah, something work? like that. Yeah. In so 16, what happens? Sixteen foot length. What happens if you know if you can't get it? What are you guys going to go to? Poplar. Quarter sawn um, red oak. Quarter sawn red oak. Yeah. yeah. Don't. It's not your grandma's red oak. This is. Yeah. This it's quarter sawn. It's quarter sawn and <laughs> stains beautifully. <laughs> Yeah, well, most that's... of our most of our our furniture that's ash, yeah. it all gets stained. Yeah. So yeah. the the red oak, I mean, red oak is pretty much garbage wood, but for staining, it's going to be fine. Yeah. In in um, in a quarter sawn, I mean, it really is pretty. It nice. looks nice. Yeah, it looks really nice. Still machines of... like red oak, which is, yeah. you know, yeah, 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 but. Um, then probably we don't have to machine better. a lot of it because we're just making yeah. tabletops out of it. Yeah, I've been building with a lot of red oak just because it's very abundant and it's easy to stain. But but you're right, you do have to try to watch out with that grain. You know, you I try to stay with the riffs on stuff as much as I can, particularly for parts. But anyway, yeah. So yeah, that's that's about it. I think that'll do it for this show. Uh, please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions and we need your questions, please send them to us or podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. We would also like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps in the search rankings. And of course, truly appreciate your support and feedback. Um, I am still working on my new year's resolution to create a social media profile. I just got a new phone. Uh, that doesn't have a broken camera, so I can start taking a few photos to, to build that profile with. Um, so I'll have more on that in an episode or two. But we, where can we find you? You can find me at alabamawoodworking.com, all the all alabamawoodworker.com, excuse me, and all the links to my socials are on my website. And Guy, where can we find you? Uh, just Google my name or Guy's Woodshop, and you'll find me. Awesome. Well, great. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll talk to you in a few weeks. All right. See ya.